Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with performance and how to improve the human experience. Twice a week, I explore the latest science, technology, and tactics with experts in various fields of human optimization. I'm your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Superhumans. My guest today is Dr. John J. Quish, and I say that name right up front because if you do any Googling on the man, he has quite the impressive profile. He's the inventor of the most effective bone density building medical device, which has reversed osteoporosis and osteopenia for thousands of people. And he's also the creator of something that I must say I'm falling in love with just a little bit, and that's called the X3 bar. And today we get into all different questions, not only related to the X3 bar or osteoporosis, but just movement in general. We talk about muscle biopsy studies and why they may be important for looking at things like recovery. We look at muscle confusion and why altering your workout all the time may not be the best idea. And then we talk about how to use items like the X3 bar while you're on the road, which generally speaking, the people listen to this are on the road quite a bit. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash X3. That's just the letter X with the number three. Enjoy my episode with Dr. Jayquish. Dr. Jayquish, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I want to kick things off because there's you know, a, a rumor that you are the Tony Stark of the fitness industry, but I want to start a little bit with something else you are known for before we get into the X3 bar, which is OsteoStrong. How many people have you helped with bone density issues on a global scale, if you have the number? Uh, about 600,000. 600,000 people. Wow. Right. That's, that's incredible. Yeah, and yeah, user base is big. And I know you've partnered with Tony Robbins to roll out the OsteoStrong clinics, but do you mind just giving the listeners kind of a high level overview of what the OsteoStrong is ex- experiences is, is like? Right. So I developed, I developed the, the devices, it's a medical device. OsteoStrong is a clinic you go into to use said device <clears throat> but the uh the takeaway like what the thing basically does is it puts axial compression on bone so this is the axis of my humerus bone right so i want to mm-hmm. press that bone end to end and so what that machine does is it allows for the compression tension and torsion put on all the bones of the body especially the ones that are susceptible to fragility fracture or susceptible, I should say susceptible to bone loss also. Cause like you don't lose bone density in your skull, uh, but you do in your humerus bone or your clavicle or your femur, femur, femoral fractures are the ones that uh, are associated with mortality rate. That, that, that could kill you. Uh, so it's all started with my mother being diagnosed with osteoporosis and then as I got into learning about what the dysfunction really was, it's a disease of disuse. It shouldn't even really be called a disease at all. It's like, you know, if you don't, if I don't train my biceps and they get smaller, that's not a disease. That's mm-hmm. called, you know, I'm not exercising, right? <laughs> so, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, just like, but, but the reason I think it had been traditionally seen as, uh, just a, a dysfunction with associated with aging, seen as an aging disease, was because there was really no good way to trigger bone growth naturally. And so what I said to my mother was, I'm going to find whoever in the world has the highest bone density, whatever population, I'm going to figure out how they did it. And it was so easy to find them. It was gymnasts. Mm-hmm. The rate at which they contact the ground. It has nothing to do with their exercise or anything like that. It's just the repetitive contacts with the ground were very controlled. Like the way a gymnast lands, they try to make it exactly the same every time. Now, there, it's still an impact is still an out of control event. <clears throat> so, you know, ultimately, gymnasts on average retire at 19 years old for a reason because they get hurt. So. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to create a medical device, which is going to give us the benefits of high impact without the risks 
of high impact. So slow and controlled loading with robotics and computer computer monitoring so that individuals can just get in, in a compressive position. So if I'm going to absorb a high impact force, back of the hand in line with the clavicle, 120 degree angle between upper and lower arm, and I would just, I would compress all the bone in the whole kinetic chain to the point where, you know, I would be far beyond my body weight, you know, maybe, well, now 10 times my body weight or something like that to mm -hmm. trigger, to trigger that, that bone density adaptation. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the way, the way to describe it, like most easy way is high impact emulation. It gives the benefit of high impact without the risks. Mm -hmm. So the real reason why I wanted to have you on the show is to talk a bit about what I believe is your latest invention, which is the X3 bar. But first, how much time do you spend exercising on a sort of given day? 10 minutes a day. 10 minutes a day. Okay. So now my Puritan work ethic, Protestant mind, and a lot of the people listening here are saying 10 minutes a day, that doesn't seem like it's possible to look the way you do. Mm -hmm. How does it work? So it is a far greater, well, let, let me go back to the bone density device for a second. Mm -hmm. What I observed when building the bone density devices is the, the forces that we were dealing with were so high uh, just in this impact ready range of motion. Like, like I was explaining, like right here, back of the hand, you know, the 120 degree angle right here. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at these loads and I think, we we're, we're missing, we're missing something in fitness. This mm -hmm. Like when you lift a weight, you are limited by what you can handle in the weaker range of motion, which means when you're in the stronger range of motion, you're hardly doing anything because you only have one seventh the capability in the weak range. Mm -hmm. That means there's so much more tissue you could stimulate that you're not stimulating when you're holding a static weight. And it's also not how we move. You know, a, a sprinter has 180 degrees of flexion behind the knee, yet when they're in at full speed, they only use seven degrees of flexion. Mm -hmm. So if you have 180 available, why don't, why, why, why do they only use seven degrees? Yeah. You know, when, why doesn't a fighter want to hit somebody right here and then follow through so they get a full range of motion? Mm -hmm. like it doesn't make sense like the way we put load on the body in fitness doesn't make sense it's inefficient <clears throat> here's another one uh how, when you go and get a tan i mean you're in amsterdam right now you, you have some sun it, 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 it's sunny today right it, it is we get we get sun like one every five days <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 you can get a suntan in amsterdam yeah yeah, so everybody listening in California, California is not the only place with sun. Um, so when when somebody says, well, how many sets do you do? Or I don't believe you only do one set. And I say, how many sets do you do in the sunlight to get a tan? And they kind of look at me like, what? Right. Weird slash ridiculous question. Adaptive responses only need one stimulus unless they are very low intensity mm -hmm. uh, uh, stimuli. Well, then you might need to do it over and over again, but that tells you that the stimuli is awful. Just, it's, not, it's not very effective. And so you can do what, what you can do with one set, the growth you can trigger with one set with X3, which by the way, I mean, that's all I do, one set. Uh, you're just going to trigger so much more growth. And so it, it's just a matter of efficiency in the observation of the differences of capability from impact ready range to weaker range. And so I applied this to every major movement in the body you can do with a barbell. And then, mm -hmm. so, you know, I, I thought at first I was going to write a book about band trainings. It's like, oh, we have variable resistance, we have bands. And uh, there have been people who have been trying to sell bands, like there's rehab bands and, and those work very well for rehab. 
mm-hmm. and physiotherapy or physical therapy as Americans call it. <clears throat> the problem is when you get the bands heavy enough, this starts to happen. Do, do most of your listeners watch this video or do they? It's, it's, if you don't mind explaining it, because it's going to be predominantly released in audio. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so when you try to curl with a really heavy band and some of the heavier bands were used for like pull up assist, mm-hmm. you put your foot through it and hook it over uh, like a chin up bar. So you're kind mm-hmm. of offloading the bottom of the pull up. Uh, so I grabbed one of these things and I thought like, hmm, I wonder what I can do. So I throw it around my back and try to do a push up with it. Uh, I almost broke my wrists because mm-hmm. they twist the small joints of your body, your wrists and ankles. Um, do really well dealing with flat surfaces. Mm-hmm. You know, we we do we run fastest on a flat piece of ground, not on a bumpy piece of ground, right? So, mm-hmm. so we we don't as once our wrists start getting twisted and our ankles start getting twisted. If you stand on a band and start doing a deadlift and you're pulling up, you know, to your sides, um, if you're using a weight that should be relevant to strength, you'll, you could, you could break an ankle. Now the ankles don't like lateral force. Ask anyone who's played football back, you know, right. Mm -hmm. Ankles don't like that. And so, uh, so then it's like, you got two options. Either you use lighter weight bands, which are just irrelevant. It's just a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or I thought, okay, because I thought about just, recommending using lightweight bands but no one's going to trigger anything so the scientific discovery will be useless because people are just going to be using only bands like you just it doesn't that doesn't work so Mm -hmm. what i needed to do was develop an olympic bar that would have hooks on the end of it that would rotate uh and then i needed to develop a second ground to stand on so Mm -hmm. another ground to stand on that would have a channel running underneath it where the bands could flex and stretch underneath and move freely. So your ankles and your wrists could be protected. So then we could do barbell exercises, uh, which by the way, barbell exercises, like, you know, I asked Chris Bell this and, you know, he's like one of the most knowledgeable uh, powerlifters out there. And you probably, probably know his uh, brother, Mark Bell. Uh, yeah. You know Mark quite well. Yeah. 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 They, so I was hanging out with him and I did a video of this talking about like the strongest people in the world that use barbells or dumbbells, you know, barbells, right. <laughs> you, if you were to lift something heavy functionally, like if you were out in nature, you wouldn't lift it with one hand. Mm-hmm. Right. Like now we go one leg at a time because we're not kangaroos. We walk on one leg at a time. So doing yeah. a power movement with one leg, that makes sense. Doing a power movement with one hand or separate things that's like trying to get a tan with candles. <laughs> uh, great analogy. It's a great analogy because yeah, it's light. I mean like, Hey, can I get a tan from this? No, you can't. So, so, uh, that's why the barbell was so important. Like mm-hmm. if you've got something heavy, you've got to interface with, you're using both hands. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so barbell and it had to be a specific length. Uh, I, tr- I, I kept it as short as I possibly could because, when somebody is bench pressing, I, I have this argument online all the time. People want a wide grip chest press because they want to pretend they're stronger than they really are. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, people like the wide grip. It's, it's like you're just shortening, you know, the, the movement. Yeah. Uh, and you're and at the top of a wide grip chest press. You're not contracting the pectoral to its fullest. Mm-hmm. A narrow grip you are. So like the myth that like narrow grip is for triceps. That's not true. It's more for pectorals. It is for anything else because you're, you know, the, the pectoral gets shorter as the humerus comes towards the midline of the body. Mm-hmm. And, and so like there's in, in that, and then as I was developing this, uh, like muscle growth so fast, like it, it, it came on me once I developed my prototype at first, like I had a successful medical device business. I, I, I wasn't particularly worried about starting another business, but I put on 30 pounds of muscle in the first year after turning 40. So, Dr. J. Quish, just real quick here yeah, yeah. Uh, to break on your story. You built this device, and then you tested it on yourself for a year before releasing it in the public. Do I have that right? That's right. About a year? 
And during that time, you said you put on how many pounds of muscle? 30 pounds. And that's after turning 40. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Nobody does that. And so I want to go in a little bit on the workout side of this and sort of how these workouts look, because I've had Dr. Doug McGuff on the show before to talk a little bit about high intensity training and time under tension. Mm-hmm. Can you walk through just sort of a, a certain protocol, if you will, for the X3 bar and talk yeah. a little bit about how maybe the rep scheme would work if there is a rep scheme? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's two workouts. Each of them are four or five sets, depending on if you're doing split squats or regular squats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, split squat, you're doing one leg at a time, mm-hmm. uh, which is really awesome. Uh, it sounds spicy. I'm, uh, I'm hearing it right now, and I'm just yeah. my legs are excited. Yeah, I mean, I I never my legs just look like anyone else's leg, maybe a little harder until I I figured this out. <laughs> Humans walk on one leg at a time. Let's just focus, and then all your body resource goes into one quadricep and one glute, which are your biggest muscles, right? Mm-hmm. So you can fire one at a time a lot better. Like I'll never go back to double leg squats again unless I have to show it to somebody. Like I do it for photography, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> you did ask a question. Uh, we, were talk- we were talking about uh, just kind of the workouts and rep scheme, because right. or if there is a rep scheme, because we've talked in the past on the podcast about high intensity training and kind of yeah. the absence of rep scheme, but more time under tension. And I would love for you to just explain a little bit about that. Time under tension is not so relevant Mm -hmm. because it would be time under variable tension. Okay. Which is not really something you track because the weight's different in every position that you're in. Yeah. The more contracted the muscle, the more weight is on you. The more you move into the weaker range of motion, the less weight is on you. And that is so, so I'll go through the whole thing. So each, each, workout is four or five sets that's it wow right now they are the most intense sets you'll ever do like Mm -hmm. there are power lifters there are bodybuilders that will do one set with x3 and say that was the best set of my life i never thought i could fatigue a muscle to that degree this is why you only need one set and so let me explain so you you do you do this one set. So let's say I'm doing the chest press. I go through like like so when I when I do chest press, I hit uh, I think it's about 530 pounds at the top. We have an app that tells you because it's based on your height and how much mm-hmm. it stretches. So so 500 pounds over 500 pounds with this band I use at the top. And so I'm hitting this 500 pounds at the top over and over again. I might get to 28 repetitions as best I've ever done. Uh, and then I can't get there anymore. So 28 reps with hitting 500 pounds at the top, then I'm exhausted, but I can still do ha- like shorter reps mm-hmm. So I'll start doing partials and I'll do another six or seven partial repetitions and then the last repetition may just be one inch off my chest in the, in the weaker range of motion. So I'm fatiguing all ranges of motion, something you cannot do with a weight. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so it's, it's fatiguing the strong range, which is a much greater myofibril uh, effect. And then the latter phases are continuing the sarcoplasmic depletion of the muscle, getting rid of ATP glycogen and creatine phosphate the fuels in the muscle cell that are there for contraction. So Mm -hmm. I'm fatiguing the muscle to the most extreme degree from a structural standpoint, myofibril, and from a fuel load standpoint from the ATB glycogen and creatine phosphate. Therefore, uh, I'm going to get a greater effect than anybody ever could from anything Okay. So it's basically one set of each of these exercises to f- complete failure. Uh, How often, or do I have that right? That's correct. Yeah. And then how often are you able to repeat that over the course of a week? Because I imagine for certain people, there's different recovery rates, but for yourself, 
how often are you able to hit the X3 bar every week? So we know from muscle biopsy research, there was a lot of theories about this in the 80s and 90s. And we even had really smart guys like Arthur Jones, uh, yeah. the novelist, <clears throat> saying it takes a whole week for a muscle to recover. Uh, well, then we, somebody did biopsy studies where they cut a chunk out of like somebody will train, they'll cut a chunk out of the muscle three hours later, six hours later, 10 hours later, 24 hours later, 36 hours later, 48 hours later. And what they determined was after 36 hours, you're recovered. Okay. So I, will, I need to find that study. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a muscle biopsy study. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like a biopsy study is like, you know, that's a really high level of uh, proof. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we hit every body part three times a week. Mm -hmm. So you do every 48 hours, you just repeat the same workout. So we split the body two ways. And so I'll do like, um, deadlift, bent over row, calf raises and bicep curls on one workout. And then the next workout would be chest press, tricep press, overhead press and squats and then okay. the squats would be split squats so that'd be like two sets and is there any just my sort of traditional thinking around exercise that you need to switch the workouts every six weeks or so is there any sort of adaptation that would require the switching of the workouts over a course or a period of time Another study you got to read: muscle confusion theory, totally false. Okay. All right. The sponsor for today's podcast is a member of the toolkit that I use on an almost daily basis to upgrade my state of being, and have used it actually for the past couple of years. The guys over at Neurohacker Collective have done a fantastic job. You've heard me rave about the original stack as well as Qualia Mind on the show. But now I'm so excited because the suite of products has grown. You have Qualia Focus for that near-term bump. You have Qualia Mind Caffeine Free for all my caffeine-sensitive listeners out there. But their latest product, which just came out, is oh so exciting. It's called Eternus, and it's a 38-ingredient formula containing the most researched and premium ingredients on Earth for supporting cellular health. This is key to combating the symptoms of aging. If you want to check out Eternus, Qualia Mind, Focus, or any of the Neurohacker products, go over to neurohacker.com and plug in the code BOOMER. You'll get an additional 15% off your order. Enjoy. Uh, so just the idea of switching work, switching workouts is just completely bogus. You'll do worse mm-hmm. because you're, okay. you're learning a new movement pattern every time you do that. And that learning <clears throat> keeps you from getting into muscle protein synthesis. So like the whole P90X thing, mm-hmm. total BS, doesn't work. Uh, and there's a stand, there's a great study on it. Uh, where they take people who just did barbell exercises, the same ones. And it was a big control group too. Like they, they weren't screwing around. They really wanted to see like, which, which one is it? Yeah. Muscle confusion, not a thing. And I'll I'll link to these studies to the extent that I can find them in the show notes, because this is fascinating to me. Uh, I'll I'll make sure Chelsea sends them to you. Okay, perfect. The, accommodative resistance element of it, or this is when I think of bands, I have experienced chain training in sort of a conjugate style. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a little bit of a band, I guess, uh, Louis Simmons puts bands in his workouts as well. Um, For sure. For can, sure. can we talk a little bit about the bands, the significance of your bands and how it kind of differs for those who are maybe a little bit more knowledgeable about conjugate programming how it differs from the conjugate uh, method. So when looking at my research, uh, I would say that I, I demonstrated, and I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the clinical trial that we did at uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in University of East London. <clears throat> when I look at that data, and then I compare it to what the American College of Sports Medicine keeps as average exercisers' data. 
Mm-hmm. <coughs> Who's the average people who go to gyms? Humans are seven times stronger in the stronger range of motion than they are in the weaker range of motion. Mm-hmm. So when we look at studies like Anderson 2008, who did the Louis Simmons sort of thing where it was like you had X amount of weight on the bar when it was laying on your chest and 1.2X at the top. That's just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. That's not what we need. Our capability is X on our chest and 7X at the top. Now, there's also a strength curve. So Mm -hmm. you don't want to deliver 7X at the top, but maybe 5X because then you stay under that curve because because the curve, <clears throat> it's like if there's X c- capability on your chest, halfway does not mean you're three, 3.5. It might be 2X. Mm-hmm. You go another, another quarter of the way, and then that might be 5X, and then the top is 7X. <clears throat> so it's an S curve. And then it yeah. actually drops off at the bottom because like when you like lock out, muscles shut off to keep, you know, so you can't break your own joints. Uh-huh. Uh, when you look at what what they do at Westside Barbell, what Louis Simmons does, and the other guys who do bands on the bars, I support what they're doing because they're trying to they're using variable resistance to try try and make people better weightlifters. But what's my goal? I don't care about what my bench press is. Mm-hmm. I also don't want to go through the risk of injury. Right? Like, who mm-hmm. cares? Who cares what I bench press? I'll never do it again. It's totally not the risk to reward ratio for me. Not there. Won't do it. But I am stronger and more muscular than most people who spend their lives online talking about their bench press uh, because instead I'm applying more variance as opposed to more weight. So if you look at that Anderson study, they were barely scratching the surface and they got triple the gains with bands plus weights than they did with just the weights. So when I tell people that story and they go, well, you don't know that yours is better than the one they did in the study. And I go, okay, so they added a tiny bit of variance and got triple the gains. So what do we need more weight or more variance? Like you would have, be an absolute idiot to not understand that yeah there's a lot of absolute idiots out there (laughs) so uh uh yeah so i I had to make it crystal clear and i actually think explaining it from what i learned with the bone density research is actually a lot easier for people to wrap their head around because they think wow like these these little old ladies in this study you know they're postmenopausal females who were deconditioned so they were Mm -hmm. not good shape they were putting six, seven, eight, nine times their body weight through their hip joints. Like I, I, w- I want to make sure that the, that the listener understands that I had women in their 50s and 60s putting over 1,000 pounds through their legs. It's incredible. Right. And <laughs> it is crystal clear when you see that, wow, we have triggers in the human body for strength that we do not pull when we lift weights. But X3 does it. So on the X3, uh, and if you don't mind just walking through these 10-minute workouts, a lot of people may be thinking uh, or have that kind of traditional way of thinking that we also need to go and do either steady-state cardio or some sort of cardiovascular exercise on top of that. Do you do that yourself or is the X3 all you, all you do? X3 is all I do. And uh, so here's why. Um, There's a great article uh, which heavily depends on, um, heavily depends on a meta analysis that was done. uh, The article, somebody wants to find it. The article wasn't Mm -hmm. a peer reviewed publication, but it's got all kinds of citations in it. And the article is called, There's No Such Thing as Cardio. And I love this article because it, in, in its entirety, encompasses more than 100 different 
scientific studies looking at the cardiovascular adaptations of strength training. Mm -hmm. Like if you get stronger, that high intensity strength training gives you the same level of cardiac health that cardiovascular training does without repetitive joint damage and without the massive use of time. Now, I will say, people get really mad when I say that. I mean, even though there's more than a hundred studies that show it, but you know, <laughs> you know, like, you know, trolls. Um, but what's, what's, what I will say is if you want to be a great runner, you have to run. Of course. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, so like somebody goes, well, how long would it take you to run a marathon? And I'm like, uh, wait, 21 miles it would take me, uh, you know, a couple minutes because I'm going to drive my Lamborghini. <laughs> That's why I got one. You know, like, just who cares? I'm not going to, like, I don't need to run. Uh, uh, especially not long distance. Like, oh, like, I'm not going to do that. But if somebody wants to be a great runner, they got to run. Like, that's not the contest. Running long distances is not what keeps your heart healthy. Having the cardiac muscle adapt and be, and be powerful and be able to pump blood to the furthest thing from your heart, your feet. That's it. And so I don't do any cardio. Now, another thing X3 does, I, I published a meta-analysis in 2016. Uh, and that's like the hardest kind of study to do. And for the listeners that don't know what a meta-analysis, I know you know what one is, but uh, yeah, I take research from uh, all, like, all the research on one particular subject usually kind of narrow and say like, let's take all the studies and put them together and see what we get. Like, is there like, is there so much conflicting information that we don't have statistical significance? So the answer to the, I mean, some some of these meta-analyses, they say the answer is we don't know. Uh, But I did a meta-analysis on stabilization exercise. So anything like, like a squat, just a regular freeway squat versus like a leg press. So, and there's a, there's a study, one of the references that I used uh, looked at squats versus leg press. And this is the easiest way to describe it. The people who were doing leg presses were using twice the amount of weight. Who had, one group had a 600% increase in growth hormone. The other had no increase in growth hormone. Did the squat have no increase in growth hormone? No, the squat had a 600% oh. increase. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's because of stabilization fire. Okay. So that was my theory because that paper made made no reference towards mechanisms, and I wanted to have a mechanistic discussion mm-hmm. because, like, let's figure out how to trigger growth hormone. And so, all twenty three data sets that I found were all stabilization based. They were all about stabilization and showed massive changes in growth hormone. You know, as a result of this. And, uh, and so with X3, the only, only thing that, that adjusted how much growth hormone was force. So it was the force your body is dealing with while it has to fire stabilizers. So if you just stand on one leg, there might be, you know, a little bit of growth hormone secretion, but you know, nothing to get excited about. Nothing's going to create a change. Mm -hmm. The people who squat, and they were, this was, you know, very heavy squatting they were doing. <clears throat> they saw a 600% increase. But the people who added like, like extreme levels of load strategically, and they kind of did it with isometrics while stabilizing and they had, you know, different ways of doing it. I mean, these are studies. They're not necessarily exercises you go do. Yeah. But if you can get the force higher than you'd normally handle in a full range movement, you can have a 2000% increase in growth hormone. So that's one of the other elements of X3 is I knew when we'd be doing squatting or deadlifting or overhead pressing, you're going to get massive upregulations of growth hormone. So that's why I'm lean without doing cardio. This is, this is amazing. I guess the, the logical question I have to ask here, um, Actually, before I get into that one, uh, there's when we look at sort of the movements that the X3 can do, the one thing that I, I see is potentially 
I don't want to say missing, but uh, the bottom portion of the deadlift, mm. how would you mimic that with an X3? Do you have to get a wider base or is it, is there a way to do it already? So, I mean, ultimately your goal when you deadlift, when you deadlift is to make your traps, your spinal rectors and your hamstrings as strong as possible. Mm -hmm. I would argue deadlifting with a bar isn't really deadlifting because, you know, the weight's that big around, it keeps the bar that far off the ground. Why don't you pick it up one inch from the ground? Like, yeah, and it's like, if we want to have that conversation, it's just like, you know, like, okay, a regular deadlift is, you know, BS because you should be picking it up right off the ground. Of course, that would mean you'd even be using a far lower weight, which would be even more worthless in the stronger range of motion. So when you, when you go down towards the bottom, like the tension would get released right at about the place where you'd grab a regular deadlift bar if you had a standard 45 pound plate on it or if you had like a plastic you know five pound crossfit plate that just looks like a 45 pound plate love those <laughs> uh, that's great yeah. i see these guys like throwing those things against the floor trying to make the biggest noise possible like mm -hmm. yeah it's like they're trying to do <laughs> I love the, I love the squat snatch and you hear somebody drop it with a big thud and all of a sudden you look over and it's 30 kilos or right. something like that. Right. Yeah. It's great. Um, what can't you do with the X3? Oh boy. You're asking a biased guy. Um, I, I know, I know I am. Yeah, um, I mean, but, so like some people say like, well, you're not doing any direct ab work and you know, you're Okay. Yeah, but you're, you're activating stabilizer muscles right. throughout. So I imagine there's some. You know, I mean, I'm not doing any any you know uh, uh, grip work either. But you know, you can see in you know on my forearms. Right. You know, yeah, I, I should probably take a picture of your forearms right now and just show it to people because the point being is that while you're not doing grip work, there's pretty heavily defined forearms here. Yeah, yeah, my forearms. You know, they look incredible like like all i'm doing is a deadlift for that uh so the stabilizer muscles they naturally fire when you're stabilizing mm -hmm. so like i don't think doing direct ab work is needed i don't do it and my abs look fantastic so like that that's something you know you get a question about and i you know i just say just just deadlift squat but that's your abs, mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, what, what else doesn't, doesn't it do? Uh, you know, ultimately you'd, you'd ask anybody who really likes lifting weights. Can you, can you hit every part of the body with a barbell? Yeah, pretty much can. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's, it's just straightforward. And I, I think the other thing about X3, like, most people who buy it buy it for the reason I designed it for, which is it's a total weight training replacement. And mm -hmm. I would argue like once you understand how X3 works, there's really no reason to lift weights anymore because it's inefficient. And people get very upset when I say that, especially if they have some sort of emotional tie. Yeah. If somebody owns a gym listening to this, they may be throwing stuff at the wall right now. Well, but what I would say is there's lots of gyms that just get X3s. Like mm -hmm. just do group classes or or, or, or or training sessions with X3. Like your the people coming into your building will do fantastic because they're going to a deeper level of fatigue, triggering more fatigue of more tissue, and the growth adaptations are are ridiculous. And if you go like on the X3 bar users forum on Facebook, you know, there's almost 9,000 people in there right now. And that number is growing every day that have amazing before and after transformations, putting on some of them, 10, 20, there's even a handful of people that have put on 30 pounds of muscle. The product's only been out uh, just about two years. And you know, the first year we only sold like, 2000 of them or something like that. Mm -hmm. Now, in that period of time, is that the 12 week period of time that you usually see 
Because the program that comes with the X3 bar. Yeah, totally. no, one's, no one's putting on 30 pounds of muscle in 12 weeks. Yeah, that would be, uh, I mean, you know, there's peptides and SARMs and things we can get into too. That's thermodynamically impossible. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of people that who, who are putting on, uh, you know, that, that kind of, um, there's a guy there. I'd say there's 10 guys who have put on 20 pounds of muscle in six months. Wow. Yeah. And they're just regular guys who started using it and kept posting their pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And how, how did you alter your diet or did you alter your diet at all? Uh, I guess said another way, mm-hmm. what does your diet look like on an everyday basis that allows you to sustain this kind of lean body mass? So I, I, I'm a busy executive. I still, mm-hmm. you know, still doing osteo strong, right? So, uh, in fact, I just got back from the annual convention. Unbelievable. Uh, <clears throat> what I would say is, um, I'm busy. I travel constantly. Like, I designed this to fit my lifestyle as a total, total fitness replacement, and I drop it right in my check bag. Like, so I don't go anywhere without my X3. You know, like, and I say, they see me. Did you bring your X3? And I'm like, does Thor go anywhere without his hammer? We <laughs> brought my X3. So that's number one. The other thing is, I needed to develop a nutrition program because, like, before I started this, I didn't really pay much attention to nutrition. I had been ketogenic for 13 years, so mm-hmm. way before it was cool because I read uh, Body Opus by mm-hmm. Dan Jane, which was a terrible book, absolutely terrible book. Uh, but that one part about ketogenesis, every other recommendation was like totally insane. You know, taking like a handful of Sudafed before you go for a run. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like health goes right out the window with this book. Don't read it. It's, that's all. I, I, I kind of want to read it now just it, because you, um, sounds crazy. I think somebody is making a documentary right now. I think someone is. I think Chris Bell told me it's it's called the the menace of Venice Beach, and like this guy, he was a, he was a Venice Beach guy, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it's about him. It's about him and his sports performance observations and how just like this guy was like everything dangerous was like a good idea to him. <laughs> anyway, so I've been ketogenic for thirteen years, mm-hmm. but. Not taking that seriously, not really understanding the lack of need that the human body has for any carbohydrate whatsoever. You know, there's essential fats and essential proteins. Name an essential carbohydrate. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If if you oh, you're, you're getting we're hitting all the points that people get so upset at me. I mean, even though all I, I, I'm absolutely happy to go here, by the way, I'm just, I'm just throwing out stuff that's been published in academic literature, not by me. So, you know, ultimately go write. I think this one was done at like Cornell or something like that. Go write the university, tell them, tell them they don't know what they're doing. Uh, <clears throat> so there's a study uh, that looked at how many calories it would take to get to the minimum recommended daily intakes as ascribed by the American Medical Association. I want you to guess, take a guess, how many calories you would need to take in a day? Just whole foods, no supplements, just fish or chicken or vegetables, fruits, whatever. I I have no clue because the logical answer would be like 2,000 because that's sort of the- Right, they recommend 2,000. Yeah, but to, but to I, recommended daily intakes, you would need twenty seven thousand. <laughs> it's almost like those recommendations were written to sell vitamins. Fair point. Yeah. So when people say, "Well, don't do you look at your micronutrient?" I'm, no. Why would I? Like, clearly, the recommendation is a joke. Yeah, and Greg Potter, who's from Human OS, has made this comment to me before that mm. these RDAs are, are quite quite a joke, and like there's certain people that are naturally going to have the deficiency and still be fine. Right. So, right. Yeah. People from Nordic countries have vitamin D deficiencies. Mm-hmm. Does that mean they're sick? 
Because like for me, I get a lot of time in the sun and like I basically have a perpetual sunburn. I don't even really tan. Uh, and I got kind of like a rosacea, uh, you know, on my face, which makes my face kind of red. Um, I mean, I know I shouldn't really ever be in the sun being a guy whose rosacea gets triggered by sun, but I like the sun. I don't care if I look red. I hope somebody thinks I'm Thanos someday because he was kind of cool before they killed him. <laughs> so ultimately, like, I'm just, I'm just not paying attention to, uh, to carbohydrates and, and the micronutrients. But let me get back to the question you asked, which is how did I figure out, you know, nutrition? So I'm on the road. I'm working. And even, even when I'm in my office, like I, I put in, I, I have an 80-hour work week. I work every day. And, you know, my, my girlfriend's not always thrilled when I'm like constantly on my phone or hanging out, but she's a very understanding and very sweet girl. You know, very thankful that I mm-hmm. met her. Now, uh, I'm hustling all the time. So I've got to have a nutrition program that fits in with my lifestyle. So as I'm experimenting and looking at different things I can do with ketogenic nutrition, how to stay, you know, in the in ketosis, how to have my appetite suppressed so I can have a shorter eating window and a, and a bigger sort of insulin restricted window. Mm-hmm. How, what are the best strategies to do it? So Dave Asprey's a friend of mine. I've been on this podcast. <clears throat> I, I talked a lot to him about uh, what, you know, what to do with bulletproof nutrition and, and what to do with bulletproof coffee uh, I call it, you know, insulin restriction because fasting really means nothing. Mm-hmm. Whereas that's not really what Dave's doing. So, because uh, you know, bulletproof coffee's got butter in it and medium chain triglyceride oil, therefore it's got a caloric impact. So, but yeah. you know, not a, so not an insulin event. Mm-hmm. So, actually, if you have, I think it's less than fifty uh, fifty calories of just about anything, you don't trigger insulin. Uh, so, you know, ultimately it's, it's the in- insulin response we're trying to avoid, trying to stay, mm-hmm. you know, and then getting into autophagy and things like that. So as I started researching this more and more and understanding how much protein the body really needs to grow mass, if you want to grow muscle, you should be having 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight or a gram per pound. You know how many people get that? Like very few. Oh, it's people who've been lifting weights for years and they only get half the amount of protein they need. Yeah. Right. So I, I did not, um, as I'm, as I'm looking at this, I think I need to make my whole nutrition program around protein because if I look at the fact that I need 220 grams of protein a day, cause that's what I weigh 220 or a hundred kilos. Uh, I need to be just, just having, you know, steak or, or, or whatever. Like there's no room in my intestines for anything else. And so once I came to that realization, I came across Dr. Sean Baker and started. I love his stuff. Oh yeah. Baker is awesome. Like he really, he's, he's just got to figure it out. I, I did his yeah. podcast recently. Uh, I hope it turned out well. I didn't hear it, but um, it it it, uh, it was it was great, great conversation. Um, even the Bell Brothers liked it. You know, mm-hmm. they they uh, they they love lifting weights. So like I'm I hang out with with Chris uh, every once in a while whenever I can, and uh, you know we do an extra workout together. But you know he's not not he's definitely not giving up on weights. Their whole, you know, their their that's been their thing for forever. So mm-hmm. I get it. But um Baker, once I came across Baker and started learning about carnivore nutrition, it made way more sense. And the the data that supports carnivore nutrition is stronger than the data that supports anything else. And so, you know, like we have epidemiology research that shows that eating meat is bad for you. But when there's clinical trial research, so epidemiology is like surveys, right? Yeah. And it doesn't control for other variables. So like, like nitrate meat, they found, they found a thousand people in one of these epidemiology studies 
that we're eating nitrate meat, which means like an Oscar Mayer hot dog. <laughs> you know, like like a gas station low quality hot dog that you can leave in your freezer for I don't know years on end. You can. They were eating nitrate meat every day for forty years. Now, if you know somebody who's eating a gas station hot dog every day for forty years, are they doing it for their health? <laughs> Generally speaking, they're doing it for convenience, right? Well, they're doing it for convenience and also because they don't clearly don't care about their health. So they're also yeah. probably smoking more, drinking more, maybe doing hard drugs more. And so like if they die younger, it's kind of irrelevant. Like it, mm -hmm. these aren't these aren't people who are doing it, you know, for any any type of health reason. So it's like it's just it's a stupid study. But when they run like a clinical trial, they track people who've been eating meat for a certain period of time and have a meat heavy diet and they compare it with people who have a vegetable heavy diet, the meat people are healthier. Mm -hmm. So, and then as I, as I started learning that, that, that has become my recommendation is uh carnivore nutrition. So are you doing then one meal a day or is it spread throughout the day? How do you, how do you structure your meals? Great question. It depends on where I am and what I'm doing. So mm -hmm. I prefer to do one meal a day. Okay. Uh, and 220 grams of protein in one meal. Yeah. So that's like that's a big half. steak. Oh, usually it's three steaks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right? It's, yeah. I mean, it's it sounds delicious. It is. For sure. Definitely. I'm satisfied at the end of that meal. Uh, mm -hmm. but it's kind of hard to choke down for some people. Some people really don't want to sit down and make eating steak their job. So sometimes I do two meals and also like if I have a dinner meeting with somebody, I don't want to sit there and order like a platter of steaks mm -hmm. and inhale it when they get, you know, like a tiny piece of fish or something. You know, because then, then it's just, like, I look like a glutton, right? This is like a problem. Like, what's wrong with this guy? So, or, or, or you spread the story around enough that everybody just kind of expects it. And, well, the Oscar uh, strong people, they know. Yeah. Whenever they have a dinner with me, it's going to be a platter of steaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I also, I do charity work in, in San Francisco and I meet with a lot of people. I, I don't really want to like, make that's not my whole you know my whole being isn't talking about nutrition uh so you know i'll that and on a day like that i'll do a meal earlier get some of the some of the inhaling of meat out of the way then mm -hmm. i'll go and uh have like a normal size meal Dr. Jaquish, before we get into the final four questions, I, looking at the X3 bar and just to, looking at sort of the construction of it, I know because I'm in the X3 bar users forum on Facebook, right. there's a lot of people who have tried to build it. The bands are constructed of different materials, I imagine, and then the base. Do you mind just talking about why it's very hard for people to just go to the Home Depot or, I guess, Praxis here in the Netherlands and build it themselves? So another thing I thought about was just telling people how to make one because I didn't really want to bother with running a business, another business. Mm -hmm. like, like I just thought, like, maybe I could just tell people, like, what kind of board to buy and, and how to, you know. And then I realized the kinds of latex banding of the quality that we ought to be using doesn't exist. So I had to get those existing, you know, existing. And so, uh, and it really has to do with the, the number of layers that we use. So our, our bands are, are thicker in depth. So there's a width, you know, and then, then there's a depth. And so, um, ours are deeper, which is why they, if you find a band with the same width, typically ours have 30% more force because they're 30% thicker in the mm -hmm. depth. So that, that was part of it. So I wanted these bands delivering, like, like I said, the, the, the biggest band, the elite band is 500 pounds for most people, like a five foot 10 person is 500 pounds in a chest press. Uh, I think it's 640 pounds when I do a deadlift. Wow. Yeah. That's like, a pretty spicy deadlift. Yeah. 
Yeah, but it's 640 pounds at the top, and mm-hmm. it only be 100 pounds at the bottom. So mm-hmm. I, I can hit that 640 pounds 15 times. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I thought about telling people just how to build it because I didn't want to bother with this. And then once I started looking into it, I thought, okay, uh, this needs to be a special thing. Like, I need to make mm-hmm. And it's got to be an Olympic bar that's going to roll with the band. And the, and the, so the band doesn't ever turn because if you have something that's static and you rotate your hand, you can injure your wrist. There's a reason why all Olympic bars roll like that. So uh, I had to have an Olympic bar and I had to have that plate. And the plate needed to be able to handle hundreds of pounds like over, over 500 pounds because we're so much stronger in that stronger range. So it actually has a greater requirement than most fitness devices and any other home fitness device because they're they're limiting because they're just using the same weight in all ranges of motion. So we're not going to go nearly as heavy there. So it really needed to be built with an incredible quality that had not been seen in mm-hmm. really any anything. And so uh, I, I decided I, I had to go and make it. And, you know, just telling people they could go do it on their own. No, nah, they can't. Like it's the homemade ones. I, I guess it's okay, you know, when they, so they can try a little bit of X3 type training. But ultimately those things, they can hurt themselves. Like I see them yeah. get out of, I see them making out of like a lead pipe or something like that and, and, or a steel pipe. Pipes are not, structural reinforcement tool. <laughs> like they don't they don't make buildings out of pipes. Pipes are made to be buried in the ground and you put wires in them. That's what metal pipes are for. Or gas mm-hmm. or whatever. But you don't build a building with them. You don't it's not stru- yeah, so it's like what's gonna happen is somebody's gonna load up one of these things and they could actually really hurt themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I can't I'm just picturing like a YouTube bloopers video actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I just ultimately I wanna I wanna make sure that I, I'm not negative on that. You know, when I see somebody do it, it's like I you know, I don't get really give them a thumbs up or anything, but I, I don't tell them they're gonna hurt themselves because it's just I let somebody else do that. I'm just going, all right, you know. Well, people have homemade cars too. That's true. And that is true. sometimes the axle comes off, and <laughs> crash and die. So yeah, you can see uh, there's yeah, guys who like it's it's just if it if it were a do-it-yourself type thing, I would have just written a book about it because I wouldn't have wanted to bother. Dr. J. Quish, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Absolutely. And I want to trend I want to transition into sort of the final four rapid fire questions. But before I do that, I wanted to thank you because I, I got an X3 bar for my my father who doesn't like going to the gym. Mm. And you know, the fact that you made it so easy to use and everybody has 10 minutes in a day. Like he He's now exercising a lot more. So thank you so much for that. And I, awesome. I, in fact, I'm going to get one too, uh, just because I'm looking forward to running it and just kind of seeing what it does for my powerlifting. But you're, this is you're great. See, yeah. And, and so for somebody who, who does lift, who actually wants to be good at the sport of lifting, you're going to get better if you use X3. Mm-hmm. The way you would do it is you do your workout and then you do your X3 at the, at the end as your finishing sets because you're wiped out after X3. Yeah, went the other way. <laughs> that, that would not be productive. That that would be an interesting way to see, like, what's your minimum bench for the day? Yeah, um, right, right. <laughs> yeah, but finish with X three, and you're going to trigger much more growth. And I think for a lot of the people listening that are of the executive entrepreneur type, uh, you travel with this all around the world. And this is something that you could just simply pack into a suitcase and go with, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It drops right in my bag. Dr. J. Quish, I want to go now into those final four questions, sure. which I'm playing with a name here. Maybe we'll call it the four horsemen or something like that. But first question for a person who works 80 hours a week, hustles all the time. How do you unwind? Uh, 
I just keep going. I don't really unwind. I uh, I have a great time with my friends. I have a super group of friends in uh, San Francisco, mm-hmm. and I'm a very social guy. But I yeah, like I'm just kind of clenched fists all day every day. Yeah, don't need it. Then the the cab. I guess the question. The next question that comes to mind is, what is your top trick for enhancing your focus? Mm, uh, just eliminating distractions. I think most people spend most of their time worrying about things they can't do anything about. Uh, like, 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 let's say politics, for example. There are people mm-hmm. who spend hours every day just screaming about political stuff. It's a waste of time. They're not affecting anything. Not changing anything. Mm-hmm. Just shut up. Get to work. Do something that you can actually have an effect on. Like if you just went and did something, created something, learned something, took that time and just took an online course for whatever, you know, becoming doing impressionism painting. Mm-hmm. You know, name's your name. You get that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Van Gogh. <laughs> So, I, I, you know, if you just invested your time in that, just stop worrying about the things that you cannot affect. And when, and, and most things in your life you cannot affect. Therefore, you've just got what's right in front of you. You just got your work. And if you mm-hmm. focus on that, you can get so much done. What book has impacted your life and how you show up to perform in it the most? Mm. I would say studies have impacted my life much more than books have. That's we can ra- we can rattle off some studies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Anderson, two thousand eight. That was an amazing study. That was that was that's why I called the product X three because it showed triple the gains in the uh in that study uh but you know of course x3 is actually a lot more than triple the games uh when people say oh you can't quantify that okay well at some point someone will do a trial with it and it's going to show a lot better than that but that that study was great um another one was um talk about uh bench press angles and power delivery and that was done by Mukherjee and Radimus in 1999 and that was amazing because <clears throat> they just had people benching in a very in a very short range and they showed massive they were fatiguing in the strong, strongest range of motion now people weren't having a sarcoplasmic effect at all so they weren't growing mass but they were growing some significant power uh, just myofibrillar adaptation. And so that, that was a very telling study. Also, one of my, one of my favorite references. So when somebody says, Oh, you need to use a full range of motion. You need to have the same load through the full range of motion. Yeah. Not true. And that's, that's my, that's my go-to study for that. Another one, uh, I think Colton 1998 which was, uh, that's my go-to, like, vegans are mad at me study. You know, you don't know. <laughs> uh, we all need one of those. Yeah, and I, I show them this study, and this study shows uh, that people that take multivitamins die younger than people who don't. That's great. Right, and it's an epidemiology study, and it still has all the weaknesses of epidemiology, but it's just a great response. Like, don't, don't tell me micronutrients – don't tell me that like that mm-hmm. just you know that 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 issue is like it's a joke mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. dr jay Quish, where can people find out more about you uh they can follow me on social media it's at d-r-j-a-q-u-i-s-h on instagram or dr john jay Quish on facebook Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Jay Kush, thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. That's great questions.
Thank you. And the show notes for this one, for all those listening, are going to be decodingsuperhuman.com slash Dr. Jayquish. And Dr. Jayquish, thanks again. This has been amazing. And I'm sure everybody's going to get a lot out of it. Thanks, man. All right, superhumans. So I love when a guest always challenges my thinking. And I got that today with Dr. Jayquish. We talked a little bit about the carnivore diet, if you recall. We talked a little bit about really muscle biopsy studies and how those may tell us a little bit more about when and how we recover. And of course, we got into a discussion around micronutrients and whether or not carbohydrates are needed at all. The show notes again for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash X3. That's the letter X with the number three. And if you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend. If you really enjoyed the show, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. All of those ratings help out quite a bit. Thank you. And of course, have an absolutely epic day.